Welcome to the Female Founder Squad podcast. Today we are totally delighted to have with us Negan Shiragai. Negan has had a, a great career to date, has been a lead anchor, news presenter and reporter for the BBC for about 12, just over 12 years, campaigned against systematic harassment of female journalists and spoke at the UN uh, Human Rights Council on that is a big advocate for human rights, equality and diversity and in October 2019 set up her own organisation, Open Growth UK. So welcome, Negan. It's so great to have you here. I wanted to touch on, you know, being a woman from Iran, how did you get into journalism and news reading? How did that start? That can't be a common career path for most Iranian women. It's actually quite accidental. Surprisingly, there are more women as a journalist working in Iran, or at least the time I was working, than men, because there's that aspect of it that as a as a male, you have to provide for your family, and journalism means that you're going to be jobless so often because, you know, the government would ban the newspapers and stuff. And I remember, like, my dad would ask, what's your job? And, and he would say, oh, but that's not a proper job like that, that that's not job <laughs> journalism so no but I studied pure mathematics at university and I was passionate about politics and human rights from the beginning so I was doing this demonstration silent demonstration in our university and they didn't allow the journalists to come in so I started reporting about it and then they said oh why not writing you know why you're not going to become a journalist yourself and then that led to a lot of other things. And then I worked nine years as a journalist in print news agency in Iran. But it got to the point, it's, it's a longer story, but it was like I was feeling the pressure. I was working in a newspaper at, at some point that I, I was in charge of social issues and bringing on a weekly basis. So we argued a lot and we debated and lobbied for months to get one page each week the designated for women's issue. And then even that one page would get out of the newspaper, it wouldn't be published, and it was censored more often than was published. So I felt frustrated at some point. I wanted to leave Iran. So I decided, okay, I'm going to leave Iran. I'm not sure if I can work as a journalist outside Iran. But interestingly, people in BBC, they knew my work, and I kind of got headhunted. They said, oh, do you want to apply for a job? And I was like... <laughs> Okay, maybe um, for for the TV. And so I don't know if things have changed since you've left there, but when you were reporting and being a journalist in Iran, because they don't have the sort of freedom of speech that we have here, is that sort of dangerous territory to be in, especially as a woman over there? Depends on what you publish. Yes, a lot of journalists get jailed. Still, that's still going on. And I think the situation is worse now even. You don't have that much freedom of a speech. Your newspapers get banned. You Basically, there is no career in broadcasting because broadcasting is run by the government and there is no, like you have to go through cer certain type of ideology tests to be able to get a job. But but most of the people who are a little bit different, let's put it that way, they work for newspapers and then the newspapers and magazines get, get banned time to time. So the way we were going around it was like making sure we have a couple of jobs uh, back to back, doing a couple of things together so we don't go out of job. And then at the same time, we learned how to do self-censored 
Yeah. You know, self-censorship yeah. is something that you become really adopted to and then, yeah, you find your way and sometimes you just change your job. I know a lot of my former colleagues when I was working in Iran, now they're doing something completely different because it became so dangerous and so tough to actually talk about the stuff they wanted to. They decided to do something different. Yeah, geez, that's, I mean, that's certainly a career risk, a jail, you know, jails is not something that most people have to deal with as part of their, their, their career. So did the BBC job then enable you to leave Iran? Is that, is that when you left Iran? Yes, that's when I left Iran and I came to UK. It was really interesting because I learned a lot about, you know, you grow up in that culture and you feel like, oh, there are these things that feel genuine to me, that feels true to myself. But then because the society was different back in Iran, you wouldn't feel like it's your right. But inside, I was feeling it's my right to be living my life in certain ways. It's my right to be equal to men. It's my right to, to, to earn as much as them. It's my right to be able to decide for myself how my life should pan out. So when I came to UK, that the, the, the fact that I didn't need to change myself for anybody else helped a lot and then I went through the process of learning which was fantastic I learned a lot about what's happening around the world in Iran you don't have that much of access to free information so I felt like I'm back to school learning about you know how the world is working and a lot of things and I and that was really happy period been a little bit was it a, a little bit overwhelming you, you would think you know all of a sudden you have all of that information you're just you know taken in like a sponge at the beginning definitely it was I was feeling like would it be any time in my life that I feel I know something about you know yeah the bigger yeah. world <laughs> but but I think slowly and slowly if you continue learning reading hopefully you get a sense yeah. of what's happening around the world. Still, there's so and much to learn. But So how old were you then at that point when you, when you came to the UK? I was 28. And I, my English was horrible. I couldn't understand. So I, I had like a lot to do. I, was, I remember I was like listening to podcasts until mornings, like when I was asleep because I, was, I had this feeling, I need to learn. There's like so many stuff happening. Maybe I can learn it in my sleep. <laughs> so yeah, it was 24-7. Okay, and then talk us through your career at the BBC then when you first got here. Where, where did you start? And then you left. I was it just, uh, just over 12 years you were there, right? Yes, I started as a, as a news reporter. And then I became a news presenter. I was, I was working in different areas inside the BBC Persian because I love to learn about, you know, the technical issues, how to do this and that and, and gain skills. So even as a news presenter, I was doing which is not that common for journalists. So you, in journalism, you have two passes. One is becoming following the reporting, news anchor, that sort of path. And the other is management level, which you go become editor and then manage, management. So, but for me, like I wanted everything. So I did both. <laughs> I was, at some point I was like, one day I was presenting the news, the other day I was running the newsroom. So it was just both of them at the same time, which was really interesting. It helped me a lot to learn about uh, crisis management because in the situation that breaking news is happening, you have to be able to manage a team, think critically, instantly, who would be the first responders? Who would be following them? What are the plan, long-term plan to carry on the program for like 24 hours or something? So 
it brought me a lot of skills in that sense that I managed to transfer them later on to my to my startup as well. But it got to the point that I felt, oh, there must be something else in the world that I haven't explored. And I always had this, you know, when you grow up in a small con- in a country that doesn't allow you to to have a vision about the world. At least for me, I felt I need to whatever I'm choosing as a career in my life, it wouldn't be the final decision. I was thinking, okay, every 10 years or every decade of my life, I should do something new because I wasn't sure even like the decisions I'm making for my career would be based on enough knowledge. And I, I love journalism. It's my passion talking about politics and all of that. It, it's really interesting to me. But I felt like I've, I wasn't learning more anymore because I've done all of these different things. And at the same time, would be good to transfer my skills to something else so be able to do some more learning in different fields because journalism is it's really interesting but at the same time the world that is becoming more technologically advanced it has a lot more to do and when you're working for a big company like BBC it's a corporation so other people are taking care of that part of it and I felt oh I'm behind the care behind you know everything is changing in the tech world but I don't know what what side is going to go like how it's going to change the way we are doing news so that's why I entered the tech world great and then so you when you left the BBC was that is that you created you founded Open Growth UK yeah how long had you been developing that idea or did you do that after you'd left the BBC yeah so in the last Three or four years at BBC, I was working a lot into bringing more women to the news outlet. We had at later later stages, I joined the initiative of Fifty Fifty, which was you know bringing the representation of women in in the media to fifty percent. And through that, I realized a lot of women are not outspoken about their skills. Even if you are approaching them, they don't feel like they need to brag about what they know. It's not about educating other people about what they know. So if you, in a, in a similar situation, if you go to a man and ask them, oh, do you want to, can you come in half an hour and talk about this topic? The man, 70% uh, chance that would say yes. For a woman, it would be, oh, it's a really interesting topic, but my expertise is exactly this part of it. So I'm not sure if I'm the good fit for you. And that leads to the world that Men get more presentation and presence in the outside world. And I felt like I need to change that. So I was working a lot in that regard. And then at the same time, I looked at what was happening around me. So journalists would go online and search about, oh, I want to bring a guest about this topic. So I'm going to search who's talking about this on social media or whose website has an article about this or who wrote a piece on this. And most of the times women... They don't even have time to do that. And I understand that there's so much, you know, responsibility of women's shoulder, especially if you have a career at the same time. And we haven't learned how to do that. We haven't learned how to be in the social space present. It's been dominated by men. So I, I felt like there are so many interesting people, not necessarily women even, in the academia, some men are like that as well. So it, maybe some part of it, is, it goes back to the personality. But there's so many interesting people that they don't have the time, the energy, or the mindset of being present in the social media or online world. So I thought 
if I want to do anything, I would love to give voice to those people. So when someone is talking or like searching for some new information, they can find them. Yeah. And so is it, was it at that stage as well, you were also um, campaigning for the youth human rights and, you know, the, the yes. harassment. How did that, how did that come about? So it, the harassment from the Iranian government towards my family and myself came really early. So I joined BBC end of 2008. They started doing that mid 2009, but it took a while for, for everybody to like BBC and my colleagues and other people to understand the depths of the you know this harassment and why it is important to react to it and campaign and talk about it so it took some campaigning inside the organization to get to the point that we started the campaign outside because in in general there is that in journalism there is that point of view that the journalists should not be the news themselves yeah it's quite rare situation that you talk about what happened to a journalist so changing that mindset took a bit of time, but I'm happy that actually happened before I left BBC. Yeah, no, that's good. And then I guess that really gave you the sort of inspiration to continue to campaign for for equal rights and diversity, etc. So moving forward now, then October 2019, you founded Open Growth UK. Tell us exactly the vision around that. So. I was lucky to be able to find throughout my network, I had some people who are interested in in raising awareness about women's presence in general around the world. And I was doing some mentorship for a group of girls in in India, Fujia. So they're like a small, it's not a small, it's like 5 million people. But they are trying to help these girls to find them a job basically. And then I realized there is that kind of cycle we can create to use these girls as social media managers and teach them some skills that they can use in the future. What I wanted was creating a space for people to be able to communicate with each other because social media became so harsh towards whatever you were doing. Facebook groups were closed and finding the right people around you who can help you as a community was becoming more and more difficult because there's so much noises that, you know, you have to put a lot of effort and time to be able to find your community. So if I imagine if I can help people to find their communities more easier, then I'm adding value to their businesses and to their, you know, individuals. And then I can actually create something that can be sustainable. So that was the basis of it. And then it developed a little bit here and there. I was talking to different people and I, we decided, okay, let's, do, let's create a software. Let's create a platform on which people can have their communities online and talk to each other in a safer space away from the harassment as well as being able mm. to have that public presence. That's why the software is not out there. We are working, finalizing it. But that's how we look at it. So there's one public space that you transfer your knowledge to other people. But then there's that backbone of it that the community can be in a safer space, talk to each other and learn from each other and be in constant conversation to be able to communicate. 
Yeah, and it's also there's so many elements of it. The, the platform, I mean, it's really great because there's so much resources and initiatives. Do you want to talk through some of those, especially the, oh, the yeah. sort of initiative side of it? Yeah, so we partnered with a lot of different people who are who were looking for the same thing, basically. So we we have an AIS square, which is basically with COVID. And there was a group of people from MIT University and other places. They wanted to uh, do something. Like people feel like, oh, we have to create uh, movements which we cannot just stand back and with that one it was interesting because the community is more about the researchers and the people who are in the field of academia and then they're working together to create to just transfer their knowledge from different parts of the world and talk to each other and see what are they doing in regards to finding a solution for covid or other pandemics and then at some point, the vision is for the bigger problems around the world. We have a community of cybersecurity people who are, you know, talking about because cybersecurity is becoming more and more prominent. It's a massive issue. It's going to be the world, you know, the war of the future is, is already here. It's happening between the governments, government players, as well as tech companies. So... They wanted to be able to talk with each other and then we help them to create that community on the platform. We have we have a platform for mentorship. So our client is Shelly Archambault. She's one of the first female, black female CEOs of Silicon Valley. And she she retired from the CEO job and she thought, okay, I want to give back now. So we created this community for her and then people sign up for her community and most of it is free of charge and they just get peer-to-peer mentorship. She's putting some time in it and then a lot of resources are in there and people can read, learn from each other, talk to each other about it and that sort of things as well. So there are different communities and then the beauty of it is they they can collaborate with each other because Mm -hmm. there are there's that public part of it that if you are reading about one community, you can get to see other communities as well. And then we are hoping in the future we are developing a, a space for these community to collaborate more together. Yeah, that's great. And I think anything that encourages community under different topics is great. And then that having that ability for them to come together and have this, you know, huge open community is is definitely the way forward. Community, they're saying, is is the new SaaS. So it's community as a service. So the platform has the community side of it, but it's also got the startup entrepreneurial side of it. Do you want to talk around that a little bit? Yeah, so we, how we are imagining it and envisioning envisioning it for the future is you know if you want to make change in a more complex world that we are living now it's not possible to go in and then say okay I'm gonna change everything in tonight with my vision and efforts it needs to be small changes on daily basis in different aspects and different parts of the world So how we are imagining it is like we are creating a lot of startups, helping a lot of startups around the world, like little boats that are uniting together and moving forward instead of having one massive cruise ship that wants to go and then become a Titanic. We have a lot of them that they can maneuver around and find their own way. And we are, especially in in this platform on the hub part of it, we are we created these workflows that for makes it super easy for a startup 
to just look at it and say, oh, okay, so I need to write one pager. I need to do accounting this way. I need to do this mission uh, statement in this regard. So there's kind of formats around that help people, startups to navigate their work, uh, their work around and be able to easier communicate with, with their with themselves among their team and then hopefully find funding at some point. That is another part of it that, that we are working because we want investors to come in and then it's, you know, impact investing in a small quantities. So that should be a help these little um, startups to find funding much easier. That's interesting though, that you're thinking about going down that sort of investment side of things. And, and so so the the entrepreneurs and the startups that use the, that would use the platform do you go find them or do they just find find the open growth resources and then they get into the community how does that kind of work do you have a specific target audience or because we still haven't rolled out the beta version we are still trying to get the right people on the platform ourselves because for me it's important to start well with the people who understand and can add value to the community first then we can open it up and help others in a better way because if we can get a good feedback from people it will help us much better to to develop the platform in a better way and give more to the society to the community in london so so that's yeah. at the moment i'm, I'm choosing people really carefully the yes. startups yeah. really carefully to which one yeah. to onboard yeah i know it's important and then i saw that you also have the the hub and the university side of it so what what are those areas yes so the hub is basically the the backbone of the platform that people can talk to each other and i told you about the investment and the startup process that's the hub the open course community is the interface and then what you see publicly the university that's under um, construction as well and that would be a lot we, we want to have these courses ready for entrepreneurs and people who are who wants to learn something for their career to be able to just go through these courses as well because we we believe if we can create a dynamic a community that gives you everything it's it's a much bigger chance for you to be to be successful as a startup owner than you have to you know go into Coursera for learning something about marketing or you know having to different things to be able to understand what is needed for you because I can see like you signing to the hub and then you realize and these are like a vision for the future but but then like we see your you're having problem with some part of your business then you can with one click get to university and watch a course on that or um, take some mentorship courses on that that sort of a stuff i think it, it needs to be fit together for a successful um, career path so i guess the platform allows entrepreneurs and startups to go go on to that and basically find everything they need they can find their community they can find their courses they can find resources on the information on the areas that a lot of founders you know get stuck on and i think i think that's what that's what's really great about it and then when you've got your university side coming on as well you know it, it should really be that overall platform that will allow um, entrepreneurs to to use because the majority of it's free right Yes, yes. So it depends on um, the client if they want to monetize it or not. 
So yeah. some people, they want to give it as free as much as possible. The cost of the platform is not much. So the clients can say, oh, okay, with subscription as little as 10 pounds a month, we can have a vibrant community. So everyone is chipping into that. And then at some point they realize, okay, I want to have like 20,000 people on the platform. So I don't even need to charge that much. $1 would be enough for me. So it's all depending on what the clients wants to do. For us, it's just the maintenance uh, part of it that they need to just pay people for that. And then the rest, we're not looking that much into making benefits in a big regard. Like it's not got to be a unicorn or something. We're not looking for that. Yeah, yeah. And you spoke about the the Fusia, the the girls. It's in India, you said that was. Uh, yes, right. they're they're based in India, but it, f- interestingly, their community because Fusia Fusia is a word that came from fusion, so that was the origin of how to how the f- platform was named. But it's a similar name to an Arabic name. So there are so many girls from North African countries as well as Indonesia on the platform, but all of them can speak English, and that's how we are connecting them. And basically, the, so the services that they're providing as well as you spoke, well, you did touch on it briefly, but it just, I just wanted to go into a bit more detail about it because it's such an awesome initiative. But the girls will essentially, to, in order for them to um, gain some work, they'll do digital marketing for some startups. And is it just startups or just corporates or anybody? Anybody, anybody who become a client, they're actually hiring these girls. So what we are putting in is we are training them. So we created these processes that is easy for them to understand how to do this. And then we do regular training for them so they can stay up to date and learn how to to become more efficient and independent. Mm -hmm. So even if they Mm -hmm. leave us, they have the skill to go and say, oh, okay, I know how to how to do this. I know how to manage a social media platform or do marketing or even do like simple research. Because some of the times the client is just asking, oh, I want to have uh, like information around to around, I don't know, like AI to be able to write a proposal for someone. And these girls can do the research on that. And even write mm-hmm. up some stuff. Some of them are really good at writing. So we want to encourage them to do more writing. Some of them love to draw and be, you know, graphic designers. So we are, we are giving them something to work on and gain money from it. That's great. It's a really good initiative. Did you come up with that one? No, the Fujia was actually existed before me. But I was like doing a lot of, even before I quit BBC, I was doing a lot of mentorship for them. Yeah, it's so good. And are these girls, are they sort of school age, school leavers? What kind when of- Ria, yeah, when Ria started it, she was in high school. Yeah. Now she's at in university. She, she lives in San Francisco, so she goes to Berkeley. But, um, but yeah, but Shratha is in India and she's doing a lot as well she's a little bit older older than Ria but she's amazing she's amazing yeah oh, that's great and it's really like you say if you could incorporate something like that into your platform you know that's it's awesome okay so where are you now what's what's the next steps for you I'm continuing my uh, human rights activism so um, I am in the way of creating a unified front bringing activists from p- different parts of the world 
um, to talk together and to each other and find solutions for the common ways of oppression. So I, I was lucky that I came across a lot of fascinating people from Ai Weiwei, the Chinese artist, to Iyaz Baghdadi, who's like a Palestinian activist, Arab Spring activist, to some activists in, in, in America and Venezuela. So, and I was listening to these people separately and I realized, oh my God, we've all been through a lot of similarities and the lived experience. There's so much we can learn from each other. So let's get them together. Let's see if there is any way we can elevate our presence, show what what are the patterns. And from, through that, I'm sure we can find solutions much easier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is that your clubhouse room that you're planning on doing? Yes. So we have a, a we, this is part of the clubhouse room that we do, but then we want to take it out of clubhouse and create an initiative outside. Yeah, well, that sounds really good. Great. And so as far as the platform, you've got your university just coming at under construction, you said, and then are you, is it just then a matter of just spreading the word and getting, getting your, your beta launched and moving forward with that? Yes, it is. We are, for the university, we are testing, we imagine it would be out by the end of September. For Open Growth Hub, we imagine it would be out March, end of March, and or, or latest end of April. The Open Growth website is already out. The community part is already out. So that's something mm-hmm. that people can tap into. But we want to merge them together. And, you know, the, the biggest value is when they are linked together and working alongside yeah. each other. Great. I just want to go into a quick fire round. So I normally do this quick fire round just at the end of the podcast. I usually have the questions in front of me. I don't have them, so I have to wing it um, a little bit. So what is your favorite piece of tech? Mobile phone itself. What is your favorite Twitter or Instagram account? Twitter account. There's this funny guy who I forgot his name, but he does political satire and I love him. Oh, Charlotte. Oh, I can't remember. He's Middle Eastern political satirist. So, okay. Know it. What was that? Sorry? Sharo. Sharo. Okay. And how do you stay informed? Through different channels. I'm addicted to information. So news, TV, internet, Slack channels, subtext. This is like everything. (laughs) Imagine. And then I have regular calls with people. So I ask them what's happening in their field. Yeah. Okay. So last question. And since it's only February 2021, you may not have read lots and lots of books, but my final question is always, what is your favorite book either of 2021 or 2020? Unapologetically Ambitious. It's actually my client's book, Shelley Archambault. Mm-hmm. But it opened my eyes because I grew up in a culture that doesn't allow women to be, you know, you, you have to be down to earth. You have to be humble. You're not allowed to be ambitious. So for me, it's, it was eye-opening to be able to see, oh, I can be that without any any shame. So it had a it had the massive personal effect on my life that yeah, that was the book that actually changed something in me. The other favorite book of mine is The Order of Time by Carlo Rovelli, but that's a physics book. And I think it was published 2019. Awesome. One of the books that had the same effect with me last year was called Untamed. Glennon Doyle? Haven't read it. Okay. I'll look um, into it. Because the topic, really the title is amazing. 
Yeah, right. And and it's exactly that. It's about how women are teamed into thinking that we need to have fill certain roles and certain expectations. And actually, it's about no, I, I want to be untamed. I don't want to conform to societal expectations, obligations, rules, regs, that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, she, she takes you through a, a bit of a, a personal journey with it. So it's kind of like a, a autobiography sort of self-help kind of book. But it, the end of the book, it's, it was invigorating, actually, that it really, it really inspired me to start Female Founder Squad and just stop being scared to do what you want to do and have a voice and do it. And that, and that was really the, the book that did that for me. So, okay, well, listen, that was so awesome. I really appreciate you joining, joining me Thank today. Thank you so much for having me. It like, was so it's good. always a pleasure to talk to you. 